Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. Uh, Nick, welcome to This Week in Machine Learning and AI. Thanks for having me. So, uh, I'm really excited. Uh, same here. So you are a longtime listener of the podcast who I finally had an opportunity to meet at my AI Summit a few weeks ago. And we got into a really interesting discussion about some of the things that you're working on at AES. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to digging into that. But before we do, um, why don't you give us an overview of how you got started working in uh, machine learning and AI? Sure. So my start in machine learning and AI is maybe a little bit different from the kind of the typical uh, interviewee you have on in that I've come from the the business analyst side. So, um, you know, my background is, is very much uh, finance and consulting. Um, I worked actually in restructuring, which is working with distressed businesses. Um, but, you know, in that work, one of the things that we always ended up doing is, is a lot of analysis um, a lot of work with with big data sets. And so w- when I think about my background in kind of data science broadly, um, I, I think of it from from that perspective and really understanding uh, the value that uh, this type of analysis can add to a business, um, the real value it can add for an organization long term and and the real financial and and practical business applications. So you know from that background, um, and really over the last, uh, five years now, I have been working closely with the CTO of our org- organization to do uh, various uh, strategy initiatives. Um, and one of those, um, about two years ago, um, actually a little more than two years ago now, uh, we got started in looking at machine learning, AI, and advanced analytics. Um, and really that uh, effort has continued um to, to where we are now. And so it's gone from just trying to understand the space to doing a series of pilots. Um, and we've had some, uh, some initial successes with our, our pilot efforts in um, practical applications um, to now where we're really, um, you know, starting to dig in and the company's, you know, making a, a more cognizant and more focused uh, investment in upgrading our digital capabilities. Uh, fantastic. So I think it will help contextualize the discussion of the things that you're working on for folks to better understand AES and uh, what the company's focus is. Sure. So AES is a global uh, power company. Um, that's power generation. So we own uh, power plants and utilities in 15 countries around the world. Um, that's down. Our footprints shrunk a little bit over the last uh, several years, but we're, we're now currently operating in 15 countries. Uh, we own uh, generation assets that span the spectrum uh, of from uh, solar, wind to uh, natural gas and coal. Um, we are making a very cognizant effort in the in the business to invest in in greener technologies and transitioning. Uh, more of our fleet away from coal to cleaner and and a big focus on renewable um, renewable energy. And uh, I think one other thing to add in there is that we are the the world's leader in battery energy storage. What aspect of battery energy storage? So we focus on primarily utility scale uh, battery energy storage. So these are uh, 
you know, the, the grid facilities that go in, they're, they're usually tens to hundreds of megawatts in scale. Um, and they provide a, um, a spectrum of services for, for the grid from uh, balancing to frequency regulation. Um, and really what we're starting to see now is that uh, these energy storage assets can actually uh, replace or take the place of a, a thermal or a natural gas uh, peaking plant. Um, so it's it's really one of the ways we are starting to uh, shift uh, the energy energy networks um, away from thermal to cleaner and more renewable technologies. Uh, when you first started to think about applying machine learning and AI to AES's business, how did you how did you think about it? Where did where did you think the opportunities were, uh, and what was the initial driver? Yeah, so you know, I, I think the at the very beginning, um, you know, it was much more of a, a, a research effort, and then we we kind of slowly be, began to add additional things that we saw um, that could be applicable, um, you know, across the enterprise. And I think where we've gotten to and where we're current thinking is is that um, you know AI could play a role really across the full spectrum um, of the of the enterprise, right? So we. Um, you know, currently we have projects going on in language, uh, we have projects going on in vision, uh, and then we have projects going on in a, in a, th- a theme that we call cognitive assets, which is where we, you know, try to bring intelligence to our machines. So our power plants, right. And that's where we get into maybe the most, the, the clearest, um, or the, the first area that maybe came to mind was how could we make our power plants more efficient? How could we operate them more effectively um, over the long term? And that's where we get into predictive analytics type um, initiatives and projects. But but really, we're looking across the full breadth of, a, of the organization from HR to strategy. Um, you know, being a, in generation, safety is a you know c- critical uh, piece of how we operate. And so we've had a few projects take a look at at safety um, and how we can improve safety using uh, AI techniques. Before we go to the your first projects, mm-hmm. uh, you mentioned that the initial emphasis was research and really learning. Uh, how did you go about that that learning phase of, <laughs> of this? Uh, well, Sam, I would say your uh, your <laughs> podcast was uh, that wasn't a softball. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, but but seriously, th- this podcast was um, was a great way to learn about the industry, and you know, really going back to your tagline, you know, interesting people doing interesting things um, in machine learning, and that's that's really you know the, the role it played for for me, and I know several other people in the company, you know, listen to the podcast as well, um, and it was really a, a great way to get exposed. I mean, there's so much activity in the space right now. Um, and the the filtering and the and the um, the interview you do with you know with kind of key people in each of these businesses um, is was a great way for us to get our 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 heads around you know the the breadth of everything going on and and maybe even give us a, a little bit of focus on to on the companies that were doing uh, you know the actual interesting work or or some of the interesting work so. Mm-hmm. And how about uh, coursework? Have you have various people in the company taken uh, or pursued kind of formal coursework in in the area or um, research efforts? 
So yeah, people have uh, been doing coursework uh, formally and uh, informally. Um, we were lucky to have a few people who actually had um, some data science um, as part of their uh, graduate graduate studies, um, and so that that was very helpful. Um, but people have been working through the you know Andrew Ng's uh, Coursera work. Um, I know I've taken a look at uh, some of the stuff on edX and and whatnot. And then we've also been just using um, you know using some of the uh, like some of the free um, tutorials that are available like through Azure and through some of the other platforms and really trying to focus on getting people's hands dirty with these tools. Mm -hmm. um, that's and that's something that we actually have done uh, a number of times now where we lead. Uh, what we call cohorts, which are about a month long, where we focus um, on getting people hands-on with machine learning tools. Um, so we've used, you know, things like the Azure platform. We've gotten people into Google um, and some of their tools and TensorFlow. Um, we've done work with uh, Cortical um, and some of the free um, APIs they have, and get getting people to use them. IBM Bluemix. We did. Uh, work with some of their cognitive tools um, and just just really trying to get people, you know, past, you know, reading about it and getting people to use some of these tools and see how they work and see how people can interact with them. And that's been something that's been, um, you know, very helpful for people in the company. Awesome. Awesome. So you mentioned Cortical and this was a, a great story that you told me at the at the AI summit. Uh, and I guess it ties to that language, that first of the three main areas that you've uh, dug into. Yeah. Maybe can you start by talking a little bit about um, where you see the use cases for uh, NLP, NLU types of technologies and, and, and language and then some of the things that you've done? Sure. So I think language in particular is one of the ones where we see some broad um, applications. And so just initially, we've done some some piloting and some testing. Um, and language is actually one of the areas where we've done some work around safety and seeing if we can um, you know, improve safety or find um, some predictive capabilities through language. And so um, so that, that's one area. And I can go into more depth if you want on that. But you know, we're also looking at strategy. Um, I think there's a number of possibilities within HR. I think there's a tremendous opportunity um, for um, AI and machine learning to help with uh, the recruiting and the evaluation of uh, candidates through their the resume submissions. And then uh, a lot of my current thinking is is around the strategy effort and how can we, you know, understand the the exponential content that is going out there. Are, that is coming in um, and really provide a, um, you know, a meaningful way to to understand that content and to get it in front of our decision makers in a timely uh, and relevant fashion. Mm. So maybe start with safety and take us a little deeper into what you're what you've done and, and what you're hoping to achieve there. Yeah, so so safety actually ended up not being one of our more successful projects. Okay. Um, but, you know, what the, the way we work is uh, our, one of the things that we do throughout our company is are things called safety walks. And we also do um, a lot of just safety monitoring where people go out and they, they will document any um, safety findings throughout the company. And so one of the things that we are hoping to do is could we could we look at that data set? It's a written data set to understand if there were any 
uh, triggers or our identifiers in those data sets that could lead us to understanding, um, you know, either really, really good safety environments or versus poor safety environments. Um, and what would be that, an example of a trigger or identifier that you might expect to, um, correlate to safety? Yeah. And, and maybe some of that's why that project wasn't as successful as, um, you know, trying to understand the way people are talking about, uh, safety and the words that they're using or writing about the safety, um, of their, of their facilities or plants. Right. So it was a bit nebulous and we didn't get super far on, on that project, uh, before it was kind of deemed not, not super feasible. However, so maybe switching over to areas where we did make a little more progress was we did, um, and this was one of the projects we did with, with cortical are using some of the tools from cortical, but we, um, also do periodic culture surveys throughout the organization. Um, and so, you know, we're a global company with uh, a lot of people. So we received 13,000 surveys back in our last cultural survey effort. Most of that is multiple choice. Um, but we also had four open entry text fields that people could respond to uh, four questions we were posing. So which ended up with us receiving about 30,000 written um, written responses, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of um, just data for anyone to kind of sort through or mine through. It's very hard to be consistent in that evaluation, even with um, even if one person read it all. And so what we, um, you know, we used the tool from Cortical and what we did a number of different analyses, but, um, you know, what we were looking to do is benchmark those statements um, against 60 other statements that we had. And so uh, one of the things that Cortical allows you to do is compare two different text you know, text documents or text fields, paragraphs or whatever, and compare them on a semantic level, right? So this is where you get your your overlap between the two. And basically by understanding the overlap, we were able to benchmark the responses that we were getting against a series of 60, um, 60 criteria, which are helping us to evaluate the culture in each of our facilities. And so since each of those responses came back with um, – with the demographic information, not anything identifiable to an individual, um, but with kind of broad demographics, male, female, kind of rough age ranges and those sort of things, um, we were able to kind of peel the onion a little bit deeper and try to identify on a comparative basis, you know, which locations are, you know, caring about different parts of our culture, right? So just an example here is, you know, one facility could really care about advancement opportunities, other facilities could care about benefits, and this was a way for us to really mine that 30,000 um, 30, comments or questions that we received back um, to, um, to to really understand the business on a deeper level. Um, and so, so that, that was one part of the analysis. We also pulled in some additional tools. We pulled in um, and before you before yeah. you uh, get too far from this particular piece, part of what was exciting. Uh, for me to hear from you was that you initially came across uh, the work that Cortical was doing around their semantic uh, folding and semantic NLP stuff yeah. through the podcast, actually Twimble Talk number 10 with uh, their founder, Francisco Weber. Is that right? 
Yeah. So, um, that is where we first, um, we first learned about it. And I want to say you also had, um, a talk with Numenta on later, which is kind of the founding company, mm-hmm. um, or the research Institute. But yeah, so Twomo Talk 10 with Francisco Weber was, I found it to be incredibly fascinating. Um, one of the other, um, you know, people in our company also um, listened to that podcast and also found it really interesting. And we kind of kept bringing it up to the CTO of our organization on like, this is this is different. The way they are thinking about language is just fundamentally different than a lot of the other uh, language tools that we had seen. And at the time, we had also spent a fair amount of effort looking into like the IBM tools and just saw this as something really different and um, something that to me just kind of fundamentally makes uh, more sense in the understanding of language. So I, I found it to be really interesting. And for this particular project, it, it sounds like you had good results in, in understanding these survey responses. Did you come up with a measure of, you know, the results or, or how good the results were? And, and had you tried other approaches previously that, you know, were, were that you also measured and like could compare the success so, uh, no, so we, we didn't do, um, a, a comparative analysis against a different tool, but, um, the speed we were able to work through on the tool was much faster than what we were seeing with other tools. Okay. Um, and our ability to y- use it and we were, I mean, we were primarily using just the free API and doing a, some coding on our side to, to make it all work and, um, manipulate the data into it. Mm-hmm. But it worked great. Um, and, the, and you know, we didn't, uh, there wasn't an easy, um, like, precision or, yeah, precision type measure that we could get. But we, we spent a fair amount of time validating it, just one-on-one going through the responses and seeing, uh, seeing the comparison that it was providing or the prediction that it was providing uh, through the tool and making sure that it, it lined up with what we were seeing. So we did a you know, we did some, a fair amount of data testing or, uh, testing, you know, once we had worked through the tool, uh, but we didn't have a, a defined prediction measure for it. Awesome. Uh, and I cut you off. You were talking, you were about to mention other tools. I think you were saying that you were looking at. Yeah. So we, we used some other tools to bring in, um, sentiment analysis into it, right? So running the same question through a tool to get sentiment, so positive, negative sentiment, and the emotional uh, state that was coming back. So that was, you know, again, that's just providing another layer of information on it so we could, you know, understand whether or not people were talking positively or negatively about management versus just saying, oh, that person's, you know, talking about management. Okay. Um, and so that was, that was a, you know, a helpful layer to add in there. Um, and then the second big piece of the analysis, um, was trying to pull out what we were calling the meta nouns and meta adjectives, um, from the sentences, which were, you know, the primary topics, um, and the primary descriptors of the topics that were being used, um, in those statements. And so if you think about the different ways a person could talk about, um, you know, their boss, right, it could be the their leader, it could be management, manager, it could be, you know, a lot of different descriptors. Um, and so we were able to pull out what we were terming meta nouns and meta adjectives and combine them together to what we were, what we were terming at the time, uh, caveman speak, which was, you know, stuff like, you know, management, good development, 
bad, right? Or something along those lines, right? So really basic understanding of the thematic content of the, of the responses. Um, and again, that, that helped us really narrow down what was, what was being said, because then we could look at across the organization or across the sample that we are working with on, you know, what were the, the key things that people were saying, right? So trying to replicate how a, a human would go through that data set and, you know, pull out the, the major themes and, you know, and this is exactly what we saw when we talked to the actual humans who were going through it as they were going through and they were, you know, basically tick marking every time that they came across, um, you know, a, a response with a particular topic in it. And so we, we tried to use the, the cortical tool to basically do the same thing for us is provide us an understanding of the topics, uh, that were coming back in the, in the, uh, in the responses. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And so you, you've mentioned safety, you've mentioned this, I, I kind of, uh, I'm assuming that is a HR use case, uh, yeah. and you mentioned strategy as well, which it sounds like yeah. that is related to kind of content management is not the right word, but kind of, uh, content understanding, I guess, uh, talk a little bit about that strategy use case and what you did there. Yeah, so this is one of the ones where we're still working, and we had a fair amount of uh, success um, at the end of last year, and uh, it, we're kind of reevaluating next steps on this project. Um, but basically, what we were able to do is we were able to we we built a, a scraper um, to go scrape, and we limited you know where we were scraping the information from for this pilot, but. Uh, we were able to pull out new new news articles from a from a data source. We were then able to evaluate those news articles against, um, and we were going down to the I think the paragraph level. Um, but we were pulling out the um, or comparing those news articles against specific strategic scenarios that we um, were foreseeing in the next three to five years um, for that space. And so you know we had gone through in, in an effort of you know, putting together and like a, a red scenario, green scenario, blue scenario um, that, that we were comparing these news articles against, right? So we were able to say, you know, does this, you know, news article line up with, um, you know, our, our green scenario, which maybe our green scenario is, um, you know, full transition to clean energy, right? And these are just very theoretical um, examples. But, and so we were able to kind of understand, you know, what the news article was about put it, categorize it against a, like a strategic outcome that we saw, um, you know, in the next three to five years. And then what we also did is we built, um, we built in the ability to present this to a user. So we built a little, um, uh, Slack interface, uh, to present the news article and the prediction to a user, um, and whether or not to find out whether or not they, um, agreed or disagreed with our prediction, and then we use that prediction to further um, hone our our initial anal- our initial you know pick or prediction. Okay. Were you using any particular tools as part of that, or did you develop uh, the the uh, tooling for that internally? Uh, yeah, we were working with Cortical's API. Um, okay. Again, for that one. <laughs> okay. Uh, but we built a lot of the a lot of the other tooling um, was done in house. Um, I think we were using Scrapey to do the actual web, you know, crawl and scrape function. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, which I've heard great things about. Yeah, it worked really well. It was very quick for us to get up and running. Um, it, I, I didn't do the actual work with it, but it was fast and easy. So those okay. are good things. Okay. Uh, cool. So that's, 
some of the things that you've done on the language side of things. Mm-hmm. How about vision? Yeah, so vision's um, really interesting, and that's one of the areas we're currently pretty active on. Um, so, um, and I, well, actually, so maybe one one thing, Sam, we did um, really early on, and this was just another example of where um, your podcast came in. But uh, you did an interview with Clarify with Matt Matt Zeller. Zeller. Mm-hmm. And so we were able to just using, again, the free, the free tooling from Clarify, we were able to prove out a use case and safety where we could uh, detect hard hats, right? So we could detect whether or not people were wearing their, um, their PPE, their oh, personal nice. protective equipment. Um, and I mean, it was, it's like built in, the tool just does it for you automatically. And so we, we were able to prove out really quickly that, yeah, this is something that we could do is, you know, basically set up a camera to detect whether or not people are wearing their hard hats or uh, their work gloves or work boots. Right. But um, yeah, I mean, it was a, again, it was a really easy tool just to get up and running. We didn't, we haven't like pursued that use case. Um, But um, yeah, I mean, really just another example of kind of one of the ways, you know, we listened to the podcast, learned about a company and then uh, tried to, uh, you know, check it out and bring it into a business application. Awesome. Awesome. And so what else have you done on the vision front? So, yeah, so right now we are working um, heavily on uh, a project where we are trying to detect damage in drone, uh, drone inspection footage. Um, And so we have, um, we have some good data sets that we're working on and we're currently uh, primarily working with, with Google on this effort. Uh, but we're looking at some other um, applications or, you know, potential applications. But Google's been really helpful in working with us. Um, we're hoping to do a few more projects in the coming weeks. But, you know, where this project started off is we started off with um, with TensorFlow and with the inception model there. Um, and that's specifically for our use case, um, which was this damage detection project. Uh, we were able to you know, prove out that it worked. Um, our initial uh, couple models uh, were working, but we were getting uh, problems with um, high false positive rates. Um, so that's really where we've we've focused in now. We're spending a lot of time working on our labeling. Um, and so the labeling has been a big part of the data cleanup. And I'm sure it's not a surprise for anyone who's worked in data science that getting your data set correct um, is incredibly important. Um, especially when the data set wasn't necessarily built for um, for data science, right? It was the data set we were starting from was just it was built for for humans and for human inspector inspectors to understand what was going on with the pictures. Um, and so it was it was, I mean it, it's messy and inconsistent. What's an example of the kind of damage that you were looking to determine, and, and what specifically did that data set look like? Sure. So, um, so our data set right now is, um, you know, we, we own wind facilities across the United States. Uh, we have three primary projects, um, and about 500 turbines in the U S. And so, um, the data set we are looking at is the inspection footage of those, of those blades. Um, and just for, just for sizing, um, each of the three facilities, when we do an inspection, um, we'll come back between 10 and 20,000, um, images, um, of those inspections. And this is primarily blade inspections, right? 
Um, and so the, these are images taken via drone um, of the blades while they're stopped. Um, you know, they take pictures of all aspects. So the four kind of different directions of the blade. So, um, you know, the high pressure side, low pressure side, leading and trailing edges. Uh, the damage can be surprising, you know, for, you know, for, for a, uh, for a turbine blade that, I mean, is kind of just going through air. There's, um, there's a lot of different damage types, um, that we see, um, this can, you know, be like erosion. And so some of our facilities are in, uh, are in very arid or desert landscapes and there's a fair amount of dust in particular matter. So you can get erosion, uh, you can get uh, bird strikes, um, so birds hitting the turbine blades, which can do a fair amount of damage, um, lightning, lightning strikes. And so, yeah, I mean, you will see, you will see things from, you know, small, you know, divots and, and dents and coating penetrations um, to kind of large scale uh, delamination de of uh, sections of a blade. And so, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's the, that's the data set. And then, you know, traditionally, so, I mean, if we go backwards a little bit, Sam, so um, before drones, these were all, this, these inspections were done manually. So someone would climb up the tower and go down and, you know, look for damage um, that way. So dangerous, time-consuming work. Um, when we switched over to drones, that was a tremendous, uh, uh, tremendous time saver, um, but had the, had the side effect on, well, now... Now someone has to review, you know, ten to twenty thousand images. Right. Right. Um, and the drones are capturing still images or video. So in this application, it, it's still. Um, but you, you know, we we actually have a drone uh, partner that we work with, Measure, and so they can do uh, different, you know, image types. They can do video, uh, or my understanding is they can do video and infrared, um, and so infrared. You know, is uh, infrared's actually really um, important for solar applications, and it's um, the infrared's a really uh, great way to spot um, problems on a on a solar field. And I'm assuming that they're the drones are manually operated as opposed to you know autonomously kind of going through a field of of turbines. Yeah, correct. Yeah, this is all uh, they're all manually flown. They fly a defined uh, flight pattern when they when they do the inspections, but yeah, it's it's all manual. And so the you you started with TensorFlow, and there's been some the the main issue you're focusing on now is um, addressing some issues with your labeling. How was the labeling done previously? Are these the uh, either your engineers or the drone providers kind of manually writing up a report of some sort, or are they coded or something? What, what were you starting? Yeah, so it's changed and it's changing. So it it started off, I mean, re- pretty rudimentary on just people entering um, information in an Excel worksheet as they were going through the images. Um, our, our drone partner, um, that we work with now has some tools to allow them to be kind of more, uh, to be, you know, bounding boxes and to be, um, systematically labeled with very defined, uh, categories. And so that's, that's helping us really get, get where we need to get to go on the, on the labeling side, or we hope will get us where we need to go on the labeling side. So yeah, we're, we're working on getting consistent labels, uh, getting those uh, damage instances uh, bounded um, to help 
which we think will uh, be helpful. And I'm curious, have you uh, explored in either this use case or uh, any of the others active learning? Specifically meaning, uh, so you train a, a model based on some set of data and then you have incremental you basically have a, a human kind of correct the a model's decision uh, on an incremental basis and feed that back in to the model training. Have you done anything at all with that? Um, actually, we just we just kind of looked at that maybe starting last week. Right? <laughs> okay, <And> so <laughs> so we've kind of switched over to using um, Auto M- Auto ML from with Google. Okay, and so that has some of that functionality built right in, and mm-hmm. so. That's 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 how we're proceeding on that path. Is we I, I won't say we're we've done much with it yet, but that's that's part of the plan at this point. Once we kind of got our heads around that, like we were really excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's potentially interesting, and I'm hearing uh, some some interesting stories of folks starting to, to see good results with it. All right, cool. Are there any other uh, any other vision use cases that you've looked at? Not, not that we're actively working on, but I think the applications for uh, drawing inspection footage is something that we're kind of looking at broadly. Yeah. And there's there's a lot of different use use cases within the the power space and the utility space in general. So I can imagine. Yeah. So it's it's, it's dangerous work. It's high voltages, um, high pressures. Um, so any any time we can take a human, uh, like a remote, or take them out of that situation. Um, is generally seen as a positive thing. And, and drones are a big part of that. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then the flip side of that is taking advantage of the onboard sensor data to predict machine failure. And that kind of leads us to that third category of cognitive assets. Can you talk a little bit about what you're doing there? Yeah, so cognitive assets is a bit of a broad category for us, um, where we we look at a number of, or we look at a number of prediction type capabilities there, and really looking at that you know anomaly detection in a in a facility, uh, predictive maintenance, and those sort of things. But we've also been able to do some tuning um, of our assets, and that's really where we've seen um, the most progress. Um, and so this is one of the ones I think I mentioned to you at the at the interop conference, but um, you know, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, the Google data center um, use case where they were able to, I believe, improve PUE by 40%. That's right. And yeah. PUE is the power something efficiency? Correct. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's, it's not the exact same application, but um, when you think about our battery energy storage facilities, they are very similar to a data center, just without the the compute, right? They're just big. Uh, they're racks and racks of batteries, mm. um, and so we um, we were able to, um, you know, use a develop a model that first uh, predicted our power usage and power efficiency, and then we were able to um, use that model to then improve power efficiency. And I believe where last update I had is we were able to show a twenty percent improvement. In, in efficiency, um, you know, with with an algorithm that we built largely trying to, you know, copy Google's work um, in the area. And so um, that's something that has now moved, moved on into our um, energy storage business. And our energy storage business um, got spun out over this past past year into a new um, enterprise called Fluence with partnering with Siemens. And so it's own joint, joint venture. And they've 
they've taken that project and they continue to to run with it and run with um, deeper applications of machine learning um, on on their uh, what they call their advanced on software. Interesting. So the can you talk a little bit about the uh, how that project evolved and the data assessment and collection phase, the modeling phase? How did you dig into it and how did you get started with it really? So, yeah, I mean, it, it started off just, you know, getting access to the data. Um, and so one of the great things about our energy storage facilities is that they're um, they're digitally native. And so all the control systems have been digital since the very beginning. And so we have literally, you know, tens of terabytes of, of information just from our energy storage assets. Um, and so that's a, a tremendous um, data set for people to start working with. One of the things that we were, um, or one of the initial kind of difficulties we came across is that um, we had always had like a single set point on our, um, on our basically our HVAC system, right? So we didn't have a very, um, we didn't have a very diverse uh, data set on, on how to manipulate our HVAC system, right? So it had always had a fixed set point. And so one of the things that we had done is we, we did modify our control software to allow, um, to allow some variability in that, um, HVAC setting. And so that, that was kind of one of the initial, um, things that we had to work through on, on getting a more meaningful data set for our modeling effort. Um, and really once we got beyond there, it, it kind of all kind of clicked into space into place on, uh, improving our predictive capability on our model and then, and then being able to use that model to tune the system. And so was the HVAC system the primary system that you were controlling to increase power efficiency, or was it something related to the batteries themselves or something else? Yeah, no, it was primarily the HVAC system. So we were, um, we were really focused on what we call in the, in the power industry our auxiliary load, which is the, you know, it's basically the power we use to, well, yeah, to, to make power, right? And right. That's kind right. of the so, yeah. That's that's what we were really focusing on, and you know, anytime we can um, reduce that ox load, means we can put more of that power um, into the into the marketplace, and it's really an efficiency thing for uh, for power plants. And do you have a sense for off the top of your head what that twenty percent improvement translates into from a business perspective in terms of you know dollars per year or x per x? Yeah, I, I, I don't have a good, uh, I don't have a good figure for that, but it, it's gotta be, it, it's meaningful. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, it's meaningful. I, I don't know what the dollar impact is though. Maybe taking a step back from these three use case categories, mm-hmm. I'm curious if you can speak to running, a. uh, ML PMO in a, in an organization that you know, has another business, your, your business isn't, you know, you're not a, a software company, machine learning company, anything like that. Like, how do you approach portfolio management of all these individual efforts? And, and, you know, how do you see that evolving as you gain maturity? Sure. So, you know, early on, um, you know, we, when I worked with our, our CTO on defining the, you know, the, what the PMO would do and what my role would be, the role and was really to, um, to be to you know facilitate, uh, coordinate, and accelerate um, these projects. 
And so, you know, being such a distributed business, it was really important that we help help the businesses foster their own projects and help them find uh, resources they need and open their eyes to some of the capabilities, but to um, allow for some organic uh, growth and or organic direction from from the businesses. Um, so, so that was that was one area where we've really tried to. Um, I don't want to say be hands off, but instead of um, directing um, each of our businesses to do something with with ML, we've tried to kind of open their eyes to the technology and to be available to them to help foster or to help facilitate any of these projects coming forward. Um, that said, we've also done kind of taken the lead on several projects, right? So we we couldn't let everything just be you know wait for wait to come to us. Um, so we we kind of took a, a dual approach where we've um, led some projects, um, but then we've also put a pretty, a fairly cognizant effort into uh, raising awareness um, of of ML uh, technologies and tools and uh, the business applications and the potential um, to our senior leaders and to really some some broad uh, user groups across the company. Um, so trying to trying to raise awareness. Uh, while also trying to show some uh, successes with our uh, with our pilots. And do you have any advice or kind of lessons learned, you know, from that perspective, the portfolio perspective, or the like introducing ML and AI to a, a, a large organization perspective that you would share uh, with folks that are maybe similarly situated but earlier on in the process? Sure. Uh, well, I, I think the the biggest thing is is to talk about it and to um, you know communicate. Um, I'm I think just in general that's that's the biggest thing that I find between you know successful efforts and non successful efforts. Um, this goes well before my time at AAS is is the the clarity of that communication um, across the organization is is key. Um, we've really tried to um, get our senior leaders on board, and I've seen some really great commitment by our uh, our COO in particular, and uh, even our CEO, and talking about the the capabilities and the need for our business to be um, to move kind of higher up the digital mastery, uh, you know, curve, um, and with with machine learning and AI being central to that, um, and so getting that um, executive buy-in is always critical. Uh, but then really starting to talk, you know, down, down in the business where, where stuff tends to happen. Right. Um, so the executive support is, is really important, but there's people who are, you know, working in this data on a day-to-day basis who have some, uh, incredible, you know, subject matter expertise and some incredible fundamental knowledge of how the data works and getting those people, um, engaged has been, um, really important as well. Cause I mean, those are, those are the people that, uh, usually end up doing the work um, and and getting them excited about it has been uh, a great avenue for us. That's fantastic. Um, well, congratulations on the success you've seen with these projects. It sounds like you're doing really uh, incredible work. Is there anything else that you'd want to leave folks with? Maybe just, you know, I've, I'm really uh, committed to the value of, of of digital and the incredible power that um, you know, analytics can add to a business. You know, I've seen firsthand the value it can drive, um, you know, in a variety of industries and businesses. Um, and, you know, I just would highly recommend to, um, you know, to business to business people out there that 
you know, they spend the time to to understand the technology, um, to demystify it, because I think that's something that, uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, if they're just reading kind of the, the news headlines are, are kind of focused on the kind of the mystical um, aspect. But at the end of the day, this is just another or these are just more tools that you can have in your uh, in your tool belt and, uh, you know, really drive a lot of value in uh, in your organization. For sure. For sure. Well, Nick, thank you so much for taking the time and really for being so open with uh, what you've been able to share with us. I'm, I'm sure it's going to be very helpful to, to folks. Yeah, no, I'm really excited to be to be here and uh, talk with people about it. And, um, you know, I, I hope to be able to share some more stuff in the future. Awesome. Thank you. All right, everyone, that's our show for today. For more information on Nick or any of the topics covered in this episode, head on over to twimlai.com slash talk slash 150. As always, thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.